His vision, from the constantly passing bars, has grown so weary that it cannot hold anything else. It seems to him there are a thousand bars, and behind the bars, no world. As he paces in cramped circles over and over, the movement of his powerful soft strides is like a ritual dance around a center in which a mighty will stands paralyzed. Only at times, the curtain of the pupils lifts, quietly, an image enters in, rushes down through the tensed, arrested muscles, plunges into the heart, and is gone. Hello, and welcome to Words That Burn, a podcast about poetry. Each week, I read a poem, look at its inner workings, and hopefully, show you what makes it tick. This week's poem is The Panther, by Reiner Maria Rilke. Before I begin, I have a suggestion. Try to find a copy of the poem somewhere, so that you can read along. You'll find a link to one below in the description, if you're having difficulty locating your own. This is the first poem in translation featured on the podcast. This poem is by the titan of German language poetry that is Reiner Maria Rilke. The translation to English is by Stephen Mitchell. If any German listeners would like to send me a reading of the poem in German, I would be eternally grateful. Rilke was born to a German family living in Prague in 1875. He was educated at a military school, and finally he finished his education with a short stint at a university in Prague. He wrote poetry throughout most of his life, using it to describe the circumstances, feelings, emotions, and grand thoughts that he had. He is now hailed as one of the greatest modernist voices in the poetic tradition. His work in his lifetime evolved and mutated in several ways. In his early life it was heavily influenced by the German and Bohemian folk songs and traditions of his youth. From there he would go on to collections experimenting in form and structure, and even further than that he would create the sonnets and the elegies that would make him world famous. In these he would talk of gods, new mythologies, new religions, all devoted to the pursuit of art. However, before those grand epics, he would write something called New Poems. It is from this collection that the poem The Panther is taken. Most of these poems were written in Paris between 1903 and 1908. This poem, The Panther, is arguably his most famous. The name for the collection, New Poems, was important to Rilke, as it signified not only freshly written verse, but his new approach to writing it as well. The collection has been called a museum of things by some critics. As within it, there are many object poems. While his early works were filled with sentiment and long, deep thought, his later works were defined by their wonderful structure and lengthy grievance or praise of art. The pieces featured in this collection are often short and succinct, whittled down language wedded to its sharpest point. There is no excess here, no wasted words of description, and yet the impact that each poem is capable of delivering is astounding. From the very first stanza of The Panther, the reader can feel this impact. His vision, from the constantly passing bars, has grown so weary that it cannot hold anything else. It seems to him there are a thousand bars, and behind the bars, no world. There is a punch to the language used, 
His imagery moves fluidly from one idea to the next. We understand now that the title is essential. We understand that the title is essential, as without it, we would not really understand what is being written about. We know it's a panther, but without that name, it could be any captive, in any state of confinement. It is a true work of abstraction, in that sense. One of the central themes of the entire collection is established in the first line, vision. Those ideas of perception and vision, the way in which we see something, and how that seeing can influence our emotion towards it, are key in much of Rilke's work. This obsession with perception and response was awakened in Rilke by none other than Auguste Rodin, the famous French sculptor. Rilke met Rodin in 1902, and eventually worked for him in 1905. During that time, Rilke would become fascinated with the ways in which sculpture was able to embody abstract human emotions in a physical form. More than that, he was fascinated by how a sculpture could stand independent from the whole. That is to say that there was a certain timeless quality to sculpture. The meaning that it could embody could stand the test of time, be understood outside of context. The influence of this new realization on his work led to an attempt to create poetry that stood by itself. Pieces of verse that were able to convey a meaning through sheer observation of the world around him, not needing to turn to context or previously established metaphors and symbols. The Panther is one such piece. The image of the panther prowling his cage is given a real feel by the way in which each line in the stanza leads directly into the next, mimicking the very movement it describes. By simply repeating the word bars, the monotony this creature must be feeling is given a parallel in how the poem is read. The monotony of the everyday has stolen the panther's perception of the world. He believes now, after many days passed in his cage, that there is no world outside the bars. The relentless pacing of the first stanza is suitably continued in the second. As he paces in cramped circles, over and over, the movement of his powerful soft strides is like a ritual dance around a center, in which a mighty will stands, paralyzed. Here, a strong contradiction is drawn between the powerful form the panther clearly possesses and the strange and stifling conditions it finds itself in. Contradictions in his verse were nothing new for Rilke. He often used a series of contrasting and juxtaposed images to play with questions he had about life and often put them to the reader. In many ways, the panther of this poem could be a symbol for Rilke's own attitude towards modernity. Even in these early days, before the modernist movement had fully taken hold, he had some mistrust for the new technological advances of society, and for society itself. He was frequently plagued by doubt with regards to what the nature of art should be in the modern world, and more importantly, how best to pursue it. We know all this thanks to the lengthy correspondences he held with many people during his lifetime. None are more famous than those that are collected into the book now known as Letters to a Young Poet. From 1903 to 1908, Rilke received a series of letters from a young man named Franz Kappus. Kappus was torn in his letters. Should he become a poet or an officer in the military? This is the question he put to Rilke, and over the next five years, Rilke's responses would attempt to guide the young man on his path to creativity. 
Here is an excerpt from his very first response to Franz Kappus, where he attempts to reassure the young poet on the quality of his poems. You compare them with other poems, and you worry when certain editors turn your efforts down. Now, since you have allowed me to offer you advice, let me ask you to give up all that. You are looking to the outside, and that, above all, you should not be doing now. Nobody can advise you and help you. Nobody. There is only one way. Go into yourself. Examine the reason that bids you to write. Check whether it reaches its roots into the deepest region of your heart. Admit to yourself whether you would die if it should be denied you to write. This above all. Ask yourself in your night's quietest hour. Must I write? In these words we can see an almost religious zeal in the pursuit of art. Rilke describes a vocation, but more importantly, he describes the sense of using yourself to measure your work, to shun the opinions of those outside, and to write more out of need than a want for publication. To him it would seem that other people's opinions can warp a piece of art. Using this small excerpt, we can gain a better understanding of what Rilke is trying to put across in this poem. It has been held by a few critics that this wariness of outside opinion is precisely what inspired the panther. Here is a creature of majesty from a different place, brimming with primal force, and yet, now, it is reduced to mere spectacle. The mighty will of the second stanza is left paralyzed, perhaps mirroring the paralysis of decision that Rilke felt in his own life, and surely something we can all relate to. Who hasn't felt the surge of creative inspiration that has suddenly been tempered by a wave of doubt? The final stanza only furthers the tragedy of this creature. Only at times, the curtain of the pupils lifts, quietly, an image enters in, rushes down through the tense arrested muscles, plunges into the heart, and is gone. Using the metaphor of the previous stanza, we can see that this is more evidence of the way in which modern life can drain the creativity from a soul. What is perhaps worse than simply being numb inside, resigned to the dreary conditions of the day-to-day, -day, is the fact that sometimes we experience that spark again, that surge of passion, as eyes lift and take in something special. Then, it travels through the body and lands on a leadened heart. The choice of words by Rilke here, or rather by his translator, plunges, implies that a knife or dagger is being thrown into the heart, causing pain and damage. Again, the kinetic language of the poem makes it an almost visceral experience. Verbs like plunge, arrested and rushes move the reader through at an alarming speed. The final words, and is gone, bring it to a grinding halt. The whole poem is a portrait of exhaustion by the end. We have seen a creature that is worn down by its captivity, worn down by day-to-day -day existence. In the panther, Rilke has found a metaphor that is instantly and uniquely understandable to his audience. His poems were often written with the marginalized and working class in mind. And this particular poem is incredibly accessible in certain ways to that audience. 
To me, it seems it might resonate even more with a modern audience. We have all felt, at one point or another, that we are staring at a thousand bars, in this case, made up of emails, Zoom meetings, work calls, endless commitments, ever unanswered emails, that seem to take away our time to focus on the things we would really love to pursue. It would seem that Rilke's Panther is still caged today. So why this poem? Rilke was a master of form and structure. His collection New Poems was a landmark work for new experiments in poetic language. I have always admired the stark simplicity of the works within its pages. This poem is proof that even with the simplest of subjects, a committed poet can embed layers of meaning into it. I've found that the observational style is a great way to see that the world around us is often brimming with inspiration where we might not expect it. It is proof that the subjects of poetry don't need to be grand gods and monumental feelings. It is proof that poetry can be written by simply looking at things and still carry the weight of much deeper meaning. What's your reading of this poem? I'd like to point out, as always, that this is my interpretation, and as such, very much up for debate. If you'd like to talk to me about it, you can reach me in a few ways. Send me an email at wordsthatburnpodcast at gmail.com. You can find my website, www.wordsthatburnpodcast.com, where you'll also find the show notes for this episode complete with references to everything I've spoken about. If none of that suits you, I'm on Instagram. Just search Words That Burn Podcast, and there you'll find helpful study guides and bonus content too. This episode was written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy. The music in this week's episode is by Scott Buckley and is used under Creative Commons license. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider giving me a review on whatever platform you listen on. It would really be helping me out. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to me. And hopefully, you'll hear from me again soon.